Hello and welcome to episode number six of the Cut Curator Podcast. I'm your host, Rob G. The General. I hope y'all are enjoying the podcast. Please like, share, subscribe. Leave a comment or two. You know, let me know how you feel about the podcast, what we can do to improve. Or you can always reach out on Instagram, Twitter, at Rob G. The General. On this episode, we will be talking to producer, executive, visionary, the one incredible and comparable DJ Eddie F from Heavy D and the Boys. Eddie F to me is one of hip-hop's most unassuming hip-hop icons. Eddie has worn many hats throughout his hip-hop career and has earned him a status in the game that is universally recognized by many of music's elite. Here's what Teddy Riley had to say about him on our last episode. My brother and such a great visionary and and, um, producer, most of the producers... They have the skills to produce, but they don't have the vision. And it's a difference. Eddie grew up with a vision. And he was like a vision for heavy, I'll be sure. And I really feel like he should do it again. You know, he should be, we should be making music together. (laughs) And we had a sound. That New Jack Swing is not just me, it's we. You know, I'm just the guy that, Pushed it hard. I'm like, I'm I'm the guy that first had the sound and just said, okay, I Eddie, you take that, you run with it. All of that came from us all being around each other, and with us all being around each other, the the, the leaves don't fall far from the tree. So let's jump into it right now. Part one of my conversation with DJ EDF. I don't even know really where to start, man. I mean, DJ Eddie F. Um, so much more than just the DJ title, man. You got you got uh, producer, entrepreneur, executive. You pretty much run the gamut, man. <laughs> where do I start with you, Eddie? I mean, um, on the cool, on the cool, man. Has I, I was looking at your bio on Wikipedia. I was like, let me just see if there's something I don't know already off top. And as I'm reading down the list of things, you know, from the Untouchables label, which I knew about, we'll mm-hmm. get into all that and uh, working with Motown and all the different producers, you know, uh, that you helped start off. I'm looking at your your bio and the picture right next to it. I'm like, Eddie is really hip hop royalty and he can move around in anonymity. Is that it? Yeah. A- yeah. <laughs> I like that, too. Um, I actually. A lot of my friends and I say this to people sometimes. I watch a lot of my friends that started from, you know, we all started from just, you know, wanting, just loving hip-hop, growing to these big, huge stars. But um, they can't go outside. They can't even go to the mall. You know, they can't do anything. And I like the fact that I can go to, like, um, I can go to Home Depot or something. And nobody, <laughs> somebody, every once in a while, somebody be like, Wait a minute. He you looked know, like he's somebody. Yeah, but then then they can't place it. And I like I like being able to move like that. It, I have freedom. Um I could be at the, you know, I could be at the award show and then I could just be just in the checkout line and I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I like, I love that. I don't wanna um I don't wanna lose that. Was that the plan all along? No, I just think um what happens and um the reason why I noticed kind of so well is that um somebody just mentioned it to me i guess the you know when the uh 
the unsung with uh with Donnell had air. Somebody called me, a friend of mine, and said, "Man, you know, I was just thinking that um all this stuff, man, you do all this stuff, and I just be talking to you, and you just like normal, regular, <laughs> and um a lot of times people say that to me. They just say like you so down to earth, and I appreciate that, and I I think that's what it is. Like I don't I don't carry myself like a artists or or any of that i'm just like i'm just eddie man and that's you know what and that's kind of thing that kind of tripped me out i probably the same feeling your friend had you know because we've talked before on the phone yeah and we talked for like well like an hour or something like that it seemed yep. like man we were just on the, for like an hour and i was and and then like i said you know i know the heavy d and the, you know the boy stuff and other stuff like i said it kind of going back to the recesses of your mind you know you like i said you forget about um, um, the Motown days and the Untouchable days. It's it just one in the forefront of my mind. And then when I'm reading through it and going through it, I thought the exact same thing. He's just a normal dude, man. Yeah. He's just it's just a normal cat with an incredible work ethic. Apparently, <laughs> that's that's yeah. got to be ferocious and fierce. But let's go back behind all that. When did you first fall in love with hip hop? Oh man, from the beginning. I mean, uh. I'm from Mount Vernon, New York, Money Ernie Mount Vernon. And Mount Vernon is right next to the Bronx, actually. It's bordered by two sides. Two sides of Mount Vernon has the Bronx on it. And um, hip-hop started in the Bronx. Um, So as hip-hop was emerging, you know, I can remember being really, really young, eight, nine years old. I lived down the block from this park called Brush Park. And they used to have block parties in there. So I would hear the music. And, you know, little kid, I'm 10 years old, 9 years old. I go up there, I see all the big speakers and, you know, see whoever's DJing. And, and from there, I always, you know, I just always admired the culture and I and I, and I I loved hip-hop. The funny thing is, now fast forward like 20, maybe more than that, 20, 25 years later, I'm talking to Red Alert and we're just having a conversation about something. And, um... I say, yeah, man, you know, something about Brush Park and hip-hop. And he says, yeah, man, you know, um, and I forget, man, I, I'm sorry, I forgot which which member of the Collin Brothers, but he's like, hey, you know, such and such from the Collin Brothers, that's my half-brother. He's like, man, I used to come up there all the time. Me and Bam and Jay used to come up there, yeah, in the park, in Brush Park. So I'm saying to myself, I said, man, that's crazy. I was like, that's a piece of hip-hop history that nobody knows. So actually, when Bam Bada... Jazzy J, Red Alert, when they were, like, launching their whole movement in the Bronx, Red's half-brother was in the Collins Brothers, and they were, like, going back and forth. So it's, like, kind of like Mount Vernon was kind of like the unknown little little brother of right. the whole beginnings of hip-hop. And I said, that's the missing link. That's what, Because I always felt like we were a part of the movement as it was growing, but I just didn't know why. I just thought it was because we were close to the Bronx. Right. But it's actually because he was... He told me. He said I was coming back and forth. I used to come up there all the time, man. My half brother. And he was putting it in. That's crazy. Yeah. So what was the? Well, I guess like I said, he got the park experience. Was there a song or anything or a group that you remember that uh, that you like had to know the words to or something like that? I mean, back then, I mean, <clears throat> all the break beats. But the first beat that I bought was uh, the first two records I bought as a DJ was um, Bongo Rock and Apache.
then Genius of Love, the 12 inch. I had one record of both. <laughs> and I remember walking from my house all the way to the record store to get that record and walking back. And this was like, it probably was like 20, 30 minute walk. And um, I just, you know, came back, opened the record. I was trying to figure out how to scratch on my mother's uh, console, dad, like, you know, <laughs> record player. So, um, and then as far as groups, all the groups, man, all the early groups, like, um, you know, obviously like Grandmaster Flash, Furious Five, but like the Treacherous Three, Spoonie G, um, Cold Crush Brothers, like Grand Wizard Theodore. Yeah. Um, Jazzy J, Red Alert, uh, Wizkid, you know the 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 early stuff. Um, the Force MCs when they were called the Force MCs, not the Force MDs. Right before they start making records. Um, I grew up on all this stuff. I grew up like when it was when it was tapes, when there were no records, and you were fans. It was tape, 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 copy, 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 and it wasn't. It, you could tell it wasn't clear because it had been copied like you know a hundred <laughs> times. times. So um, I come from that whole um, era of hip hop, Funky Four Plus One, Shaw Rock, you know, all that like the the early early stuff. How did you become a DJ? Um, I really wanted to DJ, and my mom and dad got me DJ equipment. Um, I think I was thirteen. And they got me DJ equipment. And then my mom and dad um, were both teachers. And then my dad actually became a guidance counselor. And then he actually ran like a teen center and a, like a children's agency. And um, so when I got my DJ equipment, I practiced and I'd be in the basement, you know, blowing up my house at the time. I didn't know how crazy loud I was probably playing <laughs> the music. But um, there used to be events and, you know, parties and stuff like that at the different places. And sometimes, you know, my dad would bring me and say, you know, we need some music, you know, bring your equipment. And so I didn't know, but I was kind of like practicing to right. be like a party DJ by doing all these events and then learning how to be um, a businessman at the same time. But that's how I started DJing is that, um, you know, I just – at the time you picked, you were like, you want to be yeah. DJ? You want to be MC? Um, you was <laughs> or, like or, one or, of or in a band. Right. right. <laughs> that's that's, that's, that's kind of how like my whole thing started. Me and my partner, we uh, they had this big thing at the school, at our high school called The Bash, right? Yeah. And in different pockets of the high school, they had different bands. And I remember seeing these dudes do like some pr prints and time covers. And right. all the girls was on them. And me and my other dude was like, yo. We got to start a band, dude. We got to start a band. Right. So the next day, we're like, all right, what can you play? <laughs> Records. <laughs> That's the only thing I can play. So, if we, you know, we're like, we can't sing. I can't play keyboard, drum, bass, none of that stuff like that. Man, let's just play the records, man. We just do that. Right. And DJing began 14 years old. Like you said, yep. it was 14, 15 years old. Yep. That's how, that's how it all started. It's crazy. <laughs> yep. How did... Your reputation, or how did you end up uh, meeting Heavy? Um, a mutual friend who actually ended up being in a group, Trouble T. Roy. Um, he, he was the person that connected everybody. We all, we all, Mount Vernon had one high school. 
it was it was um I think it was pretty big at three thousand people, but it was only one. So you kind of knew everybody. By the time when you got went through elementary and all, I got to middle school, high school, you knew everybody. Even if you didn't know them, you knew that was that person. So we knew of each other, but we didn't like hang out or all, all the time or anything. But we all knew Troy. We all had a relationship with Troy, and. I remember I was doing a um a party somewhere at the at the actually at the Mount Vernon Boys Club. Um I was doing a wedding reception and I was setting up before the reception. I had the equipment and everything. And um Troy, I remember Troy either knocking or coming in the side door and he had Hev with him. And he's like, Man, you know, I want to introduce you to, you know, this is my man Hev, you know, he's trying to make a record. And, you know, I, I told him, you know, that he need to get with you. And then that's how we met. And then we kind of, we just instantly bonded and we like started just hanging out like every day. Like, just like, just like we had been down like for our whole childhood. <laughs> and so that's how I met Hev. And then um, also G Wiz um, was actually, he lived with, with um, Troy in his house. I think his mother or his parents had moved to DC and he wanted to stay in Mount Vernon and still go finish school and everything. So he was actually staying with, Troy. So Troy was the hub of the whole he and he was Hev's best friend. He lived like three doors down from Hev. Uh, so it was like that type of situation. Where so that's where how everybody all came came to be. Yep. Yep. How did Al be sure get in the mix? Um Al we met Al at high school. I met Al first. Um Al would sing and he would always be he you know, you have that that friend that's kind of like always like walking around, always singing little lines, singing riffs. He was that guy. He was kind of like, you know, always walking around. He'd be singing riffs, you know. I think it was also a way he was probably getting girls. He'd be just singing in, you know, school, <laughs> just little riffs here and there. So um, he was into the music, bottom line. And then he knew I was a DJ. And then we kind of, we connected um, on that level. And then we just became friends. And actually, I'll... Um, he ended up um, staying with me in my. Um, I had moved in, you know, in the basement. I was, you know, as I was growing up, I, you know, that whole move in the basement, yeah. set up your own kind right. of situation. Yeah. I had my DJ equipment, so he actually stayed with me um, for a little while because I think his mom moved to New Rochelle. He wanted to stay in Mount Vernon, and um, so he was. Man, a lot of parents while. just letting their kids just do what they want to do, huh? Well, we in high school, and like I said, Mount Vernon is Mount Vernon is only four square miles big, so everybody kind of know everybody. It's like, um, it's not like, you know, it's nothing like Houston, like where it's all spread out. You know what I mean? It's like it was, it was, it's a pretty um tight knit area. Everybody knows everybody, and even as kids, if you don't know, your parents probably knew, mm. and they knew like, okay, did he cool? Or his parents, I know them around. They his they cool. Or not. We didn't know that, but they probably knew um, everything and had already had the reports on who was cool and who was And already had it all ironed out yeah, and stuff. Yeah. How did you get into uh, production? Um. Well, when we started making records, I first just wanted to make beats because... Um, you know, it was just it was just being a fan of um of the records and fans of the songs, and I'm like, man, I want to you know try and make my own song. I didn't know what producing was at the time. It was just like make a beat, um, and I actually uh, had made a bunch of different tracks that we had done our demos on. That how we met uh, Andre Harrell in the first place. We had done demos. and um, but I didn't really know a song, a song structure. I was just like winging it, you know, just. <laughs> 
um, but he liked the music. He liked the music so much um, that he actually, you know, heard our demo, asked us to fix a few things, come back, and he kind of joked with us. He was like, you know, who are you, Rick Rubin Jr.? Who are you? You know, Marky D, that's, you know, that's how we met um, Andre. So what happened is after I had done these beats, he actually introduced us to Teddy Riley. He was like, we're going to have a session. I want you to come down to Rooftop Recording Studios. We came down to the studio. You know, he said, I want to introduce you all to somebody. This is Teddy Riley. He just finished working with Dougie Fresh. He just did the show. Um, and I already had, like, basic structures of beats. He was like, let me hear what you got. So I played, actually, like, the beat from Mr. Big Stuff. He was like, man, that's dope. And he's like, okay, I'm just, you know, let me just dress it up. And he added like the drum rolls and the shaker part. You know, I had like a drum machine, only had a certain amount of sounds. I had the DX and it only could play like 10 sounds or 12 sounds. So I had the whole thing full. <laughs> so he actually linked, he had a DX too. He linked his DX to mine. I had some extra sound chips. He put them in his and then connected them together and then synced them up and, and basically finished the record. That was my first time seeing a producer. What made me want to be a producer was, um, first of all, I was just making beats. But um, it's a funny story, and I, um, I don't even know if Jeff knows this. Jazzy Jeff had just put out The Magnificent. Some DJs are, some DJs are even. But here's a little something about my DJ. The Magnificent. Jazzy Jeff. So bust his beats. And... You know, being a student of the game, you know, watching all the DJ, Jazzy J, Theodore, like, you know, the It's Yours and the Catch the Beat and the, all the records that, you know, when you being a student of DJing and you know all these cuts and scratches. And um, I was like, when that record came out, I was like, I remember telling him, I said, man, I said, Jeff killed the whole game. I said, he did, you can't do no more. I said, he did every trick. Everything you could do, it's over. Nobody's going to put out a <laughs> DJ record better than that record, period. So mentally, I was like, it's done. It's done. I'm, I'm, I'm not even focusing on DJing. I'm getting ready to focus on production because he shut it down and <laughs> dropped the mic so crazy on that record that it just was like, and I don't even think he even knows this because I never told him. I was like, man, you the reason you pushed me into producing because you, you killed that record so crazy that there was nothing else left to do. It was. He did. Uh. <laughs> it was crazy. He did every trick you could do on that song. Now make it sound like a bird. Now make it chirp. He's still to me the coldest DJ. No disrespect. Absolutely. He's the coldest. No. I just. <laughs> Yo, I love Jeff. Like, hey man, one of the things of respecting the art and respecting your craft. Like, I man, I, I'm. Yo, I recognize like you know extreme talent. I mean Jeff, like man, he like he like a DJ god. Like, yes. and if you if you a student of, or you down with this hip hop thing for real, you can front if you want. Anybody fronting on Jazzy Jeff, they like yo, you ain't real hip hop. You fronting on Jazzy Jeff. You, <laughs> you can't be. You can't. And I know you've seen that Peter Piper routine he did. Yes. Oh, oh my God. Yes. That is just one. And of you those. know that's like that's family. We went on the road. We all before. 
you know, Will Smith and Independence that we used to go on the road together and be on tours together and, you know, drum machines go out and we borrow each other drum machine and, you know, airport, you know, broke my turntable. I borrowed one of yours. So we went through all of that, you know, just coming up together. So, I mean, you know, I think as a matter of fact, I got either a picture on my, um, you know, my Instagram or somewhere with me, um, me, Jeff, Jam Master J and DMC, we were all, we just ran into each other at a studio somewhere. Um, so that means like family, man. That's crazy. I love Jeff, man. He one of the most incredible DJs ever, period. I don't know. He's it's like he got nine hands. Yep. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know nine hands or something like that. And then his fingers, I don't know. They must be broke. Must be no bones in yeah, there or something like yeah. that. <laughs> That's a whole nother thing right there. All right. Going back to uh uh y'all getting started, put Heavy D and the boys out. What was the experience like, like your first time going on the road and people accepting and liking what you're doing? Um, We did two shows, and these were actually in New York. One was at the Fever, the old Fever, the new Fever. I can't remember which one. It was in the Bronx. And another one was somewhere else. And I remember it was our first paid show and our first time seeing people actually liked our songs. And I remember thinking to myself, and have too, we were like, oh, this is how it goes. You go do a show and you get, like, paid. Like, you get money every time you do a show. You know, we thinking, like, you make a record and you get royalties. And we didn't know how all that worked at the time. But I remember feeling like, oh, this is cool. So every time we do a show, we're going to get a check. Like, that's dope. <laughs> you know, and... um that was the one of the first times in in the in the in the uh, Bronx. The first time we went out of town, I think we went to um, to Baltimore, and it was crazy though. It was a crazy situation. You know, we all went. I think it was us, EPMD, and somebody else, but we were all brand 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 new. Like records, not even on the chart. It's just on the mix shows, and um, we performed. We were in this place. It was like a old. Some kind of big hall, and it was kind of crazy because the stage had like a big, like either a swimming pool or a pit in the front of it, and it had like water in it, and it was like cold in the place. And it, I don't even know at this point now. I'm thinking about, I'm like, was the electricity even on? Was they running all the lights? <laughs> I don't know. But it was like, it was like, yo, we like, we, I don't even know what type of place we in. It was like crazy. Um, and there was a few people there. There was, I mean, this is when we was in early in the beginning. So that was one of our first show. That was our first experience learning what uh, a a bad or a bad promoter could be like versus oh, yeah. like somebody that take care of you. Janky promoters. Yeah, you seen that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about um uh the the actual finally form form the actual formulation of the group? When you, I know you said, you know, G Wiz was staying with Troy. Yep. And uh uh and you and Hev, you know, had hooked up. Uh how did y'all decide, okay, it's gonna be us? Um, well, we had me and Hev early on, and you know, we were partners in the group. A lot of people don't know this, even though it's Heavy D and the Boys, we like actually um well fifty fifty partners with Heavy D and the Boys. We had looked at a lot of artists, and we had been just hearing things about, you know, I'm not going to name names, we've been hearing things about people, oh, this person performed, oh, they, they record is hot, but they show wasn't good, or just people that we knew. And we were like, man, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like 
just the DJ and the rapper, and we like running around, and we don't, and people are looking at us, and they like not having other things to have a full show experience. So we said, okay, we're gonna have dancers, but we're not just gonna have dancers. We're gonna make them actually in the group, so that it's a whole group. Um, and that's how we ended up saying we're gonna have. Um, T-Roy and G-Wiz, but actually be a part of the group in the pictures, in the album cover, like everything like that. Um, and that's how the decision was made. And I think that's kind of what um, set us apart from a lot of other groups that were coming out of, at the time. It made us more like a like a crew, like a, and then, you know, like a fun, you know, group of people. Was it a conscious decision not to curse? Um, y- yes and no. I think it was conscious in the fact that Hev just wasn't wasn't brought up like that. And if you know, like Hev parents, some of the most amazing people, um, hit great family, uh, you know, musical family, uh, West Indian heritage. It just wasn't like something that that he did. And we didn't come from that. Like we all knew. We all knew the street and the street element, but we had kind of like got to a point where it's like, you know, you could be cool without having to like go there with it. Um, Same thing with my family. Like my my dad was one of the like coolest dudes. Like I mean, he was like he was like got his concert to school, ran the teen center. He was the head of his. Q chapter, Mason. He had all of, you know, rings and all that. And everywhere I went as a little kid, everybody, oh, you there, son. You there. Like everybody who had older street kids, police. You like, he is like, I'm like, where's my dad? He like, like, he felt like he running the town, like he's the mayor <laughs> or something. So, like, we had, we had people that, you know, they had the, uh, street element around us we knew of them but our parents and families kind of kept us grounded so i think um it just didn't feel respectful like you wouldn't want to make something that you felt like your mom can't listen to your dad can't listen to um so subconsciously conscious i guess subconsciously conscious All right, we'll take that. That wraps up episode number one of the Cut Curator Podcast with my guest, DJ Eddie F. from Heavy D and the Boys. On part two, you'll hear Eddie talking about when he knew he made it and how blessed he was to come in the game to work with some of hip-hop's very best. I've been blessed. I came in the game, got to work with Teddy Riley and Marley Maul both at the same time. How crazy is that? Like, like at the time, the king of hip-hop and the king of R&B And I'm learning from them. That's next on episode number two on the Cut Curator Podcast. Please, once again, like, subscribe, share, leave a comment. And please, always hit me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Rob G. The General. Have a very blessed day. And go ahead. Go ahead and listen to episode two right now.